Welcome, future doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor Podcast with Dr. Sulma and Marina, where we bring you conversations to empower and inspire you to contribute to your community and the world by becoming a doctor. Welcome, future doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor Podcast. Today, we have guest medical student Laurel Hyatt with us. Thanks, Laurel, so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. So I'll go ahead and introduce you. Laurel Hyatt is an MD, PhD student at the University of Utah School of Medicine. They are currently in their first year of their PhD, where they intend to use computational genomics in clinical contexts. As a non-binary person and future physician scientist, they are excited about the intersection of queer identity and precision medicine. Well, thanks so much again, Laurel, for being here with us today to talk about your story, your journey into medicine, your interests, and everything in between. We really appreciate having you. Totally. All right. So first of all, tell us a little bit about your background. Where are you from? Anything that stands out to you about your experiences growing up and being inspired to become a doctor? So I grew up in Georgia, actually, but my family is from the Midwest. They Both my parents grew up on farms. My dad was a beef ranch offspring, and my mom grew up on a dairy farm. And so they say that they ended up together because they couldn't smell the cow manure on each other. And so I, I grew up in the South and didn't actually go to doctors a lot. My parents grew up super poor and weren't really used to engaging with the medical system. And my mom is more of an essential oils and chiropractor person than <laughs> the alternative, perhaps. And so I grew up feeling, I guess, kind of alienated from science and from medicine a little bit, which perhaps. <laughs> made it all the more interesting. And so it was this thing that I didn't think that I could be. And so the closer I got to it, the more exciting it was that that was something that may actually be attain obtainable for me, if that makes sense. So growing up in the South, what was that? So, you know, obviously the South has its own culture and, mm -hmm. um, you know, its own um, unique experiences. Uh, what was that experience for you? Did you feel like you belonged in that culture? For a long time, I didn't feel very at home in the South. I would intentionally not have a Southern accent. I refused to say y'all. I wouldn't tell people necessarily where I was from. And I think part of that is as a queer person, there's this idea that the South is just a hateful and backwards place. But I think after spending my undergrad years at the University of Georgia and spending a lot of time both in queer solidarity, but also the South is full of just incredible, amazing advocates, uh, leaders, especially the South has the most people of color in it, you know, anywhere in the US. And so I feel like to ignore the potential of the South is to really overlook a lot of incredible people. And so now I'm very much a y'all means all person, but I will say as a kid and teenager, there was a lot of bullying. There was a lot of nastiness. 
And sometimes that came from students and sometimes that came from teachers and admin and adults and communities. So, and, and everywhere is different. Right. And so I think that there, anywhere you go right there are going to be those attitudes. I just think that the South things get pushed maybe to their extremes a little bit. So you have more open prejudice, but you also have more explicit resilience. And that's something I'm really proud of, of the South and of, you know, the community and friends I have from there. Right. Yeah, I love that. That's true. It's sort of the more challenging an environment is sometimes the the stronger resilience you build uh, Mm -hmm. in that in that setting. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like in terms of your support system growing up? Did, did you have supportive family? Did you find um, supportive teachers, mentors? My family is complicated. I feel like that's probably true for everyone, but it, it is sometimes especially true as a queer and rather leftist person growing up in a very conservative LDS religious family. And so a lot of my support system has come from people I've sought out. And so when I was a teenager, I snuck out at 6am to go to like a queer summit. And that's where I met some of the, you know, healthcare workers who did the kind of research and community work I wanted to do. And uh, one of my best friends, mom actually paid for several of my like medical student fees, and is a uh, psychiatrist to a lot of queer patients. And so I think that my, I, I, I have an awesome support system. I don't want to, you know, downplay the amazing support I've re- received. I'm married. I've been with my partner for the past eight-ish years. And so I have a wonderful support system, but I do think it's really difficult when there are so many, you know, legacy med students where it was really easy to get shadowing experience perhaps because their parent is a doctor or their whole family are doctors. And uh, that's great. And I'm super happy for them. That was not my experience. And so I think that I had to be perhaps a little bit more proactive and intentional in building my support system. And I think that perhaps for that reason, I'm very grateful. And I feel like I have really firm friendships and mentor relationships, but definitely required a little extra homework, I think. Yeah, definitely. That can be true for any first generation medical student in their Mm -hmm. family. So tell me a little bit about what inspired you to become a doctor. At what age do you remember thinking, oh, this is something that um, Mm -hmm. I can picture myself doing and I really want to do? Yeah, I, I think that, like I said, when I was younger, it just wasn't a thing I thought I could do. And my neither of my parents has a college degree, right? And so I've always loved science. I uh, like won a science competition in middle school and I was like, wow, this, you know, this is a thing I can do. And um, actually I had a black pediatrician uh, growing up who I didn't see often, but I saw what legally required. And then I ended up actually having a black psychiatrist who was also a woman. And I think for me, as a kid who did not maybe have the language to understand that I was queer yet, but understood, you know, the idea of like, doctors were old white men in lab coats, and so were scientists. Honestly, I think seeing 
like really badass black women for me was super important uh, between the ages of like 12 to 14 to be like, if they can do it, then conceivably I can do it also. And I think that in my teens, I got really involved with a lot of immigrant communities and uh, especially undocumented Spanish speaking communities and ended up doing a lot of like translation at home, trying to just be helpful with folks. Cause a lot of times, unfortunately, even though it's legally required, the healthcare system was not super great about explaining things. And I think that too was just really helpful. And like, I just love patients and I love people. And so around the time I realized that maybe I, this is something I could do it. I realized it was, this is also something I want to do. Like I, I see myself as, and maybe this is like pretentious, but I see myself as an advocate before I see myself as a healthcare worker or scientist. And for me, it is just a way that I can keep doing the kind of work I want to do and trying to support people. And that's basically my entire motivation and everything I do. So I guess those were kind of the experiences that shaped it, but it definitely was a long process of, I don't know, the tension between doubt and desire. Absolutely. That's all too familiar. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your college experience. Where did you go to college? I think you mentioned it, but I forgot. (laughs) Um, And what was that experience like for you? Were there particular experiences in college that solidified your desire to become a doctor or maybe challenges that made you question whether you really wanted to do it? Mm -hmm. So I went to the University of Georgia and pre-med students are, I think, difficult anywhere you go. And so that was really challenging in that I wasn't really like this student. And again, I, 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 I want to be careful because I don't want to make it seem like, ah, everyone was terrible and I was amazing because that's not what I'm saying. But I think that a lot, like uh, financially, I just, you know, I put myself through undergrad. I'm putting myself through grad school now on scholarships and everything. So there, there, my motivation was just very different in terms of I am trying to stay alive and stay financially secure and do the best that I can versus you know, having the resources to get tutors to ace every class and to get the top percentile on the MCAT. And there was a kind of really rugged competitiveness that uh, didn't really resonate with me because I was doing the best that I could and the best that I could was already pretty stressful. I I got a scholarship for my undergrad, but I, I worked through undergrad basically to be able to eat in addition to attend university. And so it was, there was one time where I really, really wanted to get clinical volunteer experience at a hospital, but the only way that I could afford to basically do some of the documentation for like my TB status uh, was at a health center and I couldn't get the scheduling done within a really narrow window. And they basically told me, you know, good riddance, maybe come back in a year and send me out my way and had another 20 people who wanted the spot, right? And so uh, so it was hard. I think that medicine is a really rigorous and competitive pursuit. And if you have any additional obstacles, so for me, you know, like I said, finding clinical experiences and mentors or even just the fiscal resources to prepare myself and then apply for medical school, that was challenging. 
but I was actually able to uh, form medical school curriculum for the state of Georgia on a healthcare team of LGBTQ researchers and individuals. And so both as a trans person and as a person who researched trans health uh, in my undergrad experience, I was able to contribute to the education of our state's medical students so they would actually be prepared for when queer students, you know, walked into their clinic. And that was just one of the most rewarding things I've ever done because I have been the person who has received awful healthcare. And I got to be a person who was part of the solution and not just myself trying to be a, a better provider, but for every student who's going to interact with that curriculum, you know, as a medical student in the state of Georgia until someone smarter and better than me changes it, right? That was just, that was awesome. And it made me feel like medicine was something that would give me the tools to help people like me. And especially I'm interested in adolescent medicine. And so help kids and teenagers who don't have the resources that maybe I have now as an adult have better healthcare. And so it was super motivating experiences like that and similar to that. And I basically through sheer stubbornness was like, I'm going to do it anyways. And I did. Uh Uh-huh. What a wonderful opportunity that was and and an opportunity that you seized to turn one of your own negative life experiences into something that really could be transformational and positive for future generations. You mentioned that you had negative experiences with the healthcare system or healthcare providers. Mm -hmm. Do you mind sharing a little more about that? Because we do hear a lot of stories of people, everyone has their own version of this, but some people are really motivated to go into medicine to really change the system because their own family or friends or they themselves have had less than ideal experiences with the healthcare system. Oh, I, full disclosure, will refer to myself as a, as a future doctor who does not like doctors. <laughs> I, and obviously many are wonderful and I'm sure you're wonderful and I hope to be wonderful, right? Like there's, it's not uh-huh. a universal truth, but for me as a, you know, young non-binary person and I'll be honest is today including myself today as a young non-binary person uh, I was a teenager when I started you know referring to myself that way it is as simple as I just get misgendered all the time it doesn't matter how difficult I am how upfront how insistent about my pronouns staff you know, nurses, physicians throughout the process will just misgender me. And I, that's one of those things, not only is it uncomfortable and invalidating, but it, I think it's a broader issue in that if that is a simple aspect of my identity that you're not acknowledging, what else are you going to miss in my care? And I think that we hear all kinds of horror stories, especially from women and from people of color of worse health apps outcomes just because they are not listened to and their, you know, visits are basically glossed over and details aren't taken. And that has also been something I've experienced where I have a hormonal medical condition, which is always fun to interplay with gender. Mm -hmm. And so I basically have had difficulty getting treatment for that based on uh, assumptions of my gender and 
physicians declining to treat me and you know would it be super awesome to be able to always get healthcare everywhere i wanted it or pursued it but that hasn't been the case i remember one day there was one physician who uh was the only physician who would cover a certain um procedure under my insurance and he was only available one specific day and i waited months to get this one appointment and then i went in and he said no and i left and it was probably a year and a half until i was able to figure something else out oh wow and that was terrible that was awful yeah you can you know obviously insurance is an issue but at the end of the day that was a physician who could have provided me care and chose not to mm-hmm. and i just don't think that's okay and it was uh, a headache and a half for me to go through and i don't think that any person should have to experience that especially when you're restricted by income and insurance and i transportation was a huge issue for me i didn't have a car for a long time so i rode mm-hmm. the bus right and so yeah i just am pretty passionate about uh-huh. if someone shows up in your clinic in your office wherever and you are the provider or physician or whoever is responsible for that person i just think that it is your joy but also responsibility to do the best you can for that person uh-huh. and to me that is why i want to go into medicine and the good i think i could do with medicine is i think that I want to both create opportunities for people to have healthcare from me but also if you're in front of me it doesn't matter who you are or why you're there but I think it's my job and again oh, the wonderful opportunity because I I think medicine is the you know the healing art is something that I'm super excited about and so I just can't imagine declining that opportunity to be involved in helping someone Yeah definitely Well, I'm really sorry you you went through those experiences. I think, you know, no like you said nobody should have to have those experiences. And unfortunately, there is still a lot of whether it be intentional or unintentional discrimination within the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things one that's one of the reasons we're passionate about really increasing the diversity within the medical profession and diversity of all sorts not just, you know, race and ethnicity, but other types as well. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I think younger generations of rising physicians are becoming more aware of the diversity of gender and the spectrum that exists. Um, younger generations are more respectful of those differences. Thankfully, maybe not universally, but I think overall, I do see that trend. But still, I think we all have a long ways to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um Are there any other suggestions you have for aspiring doctors or med students um who might be listening to this of how we can be more sensitive to, you know, communities that are maybe mm-hmm. um queer as well? Mhm. I think my very lame and technical suggestion that I will get out of the way before probably more broad and universal advice is uh paperwork is a major frustration both in terms of uh, if you can put your name or your pronouns or 
Uh, one of the things I'm a big fan of is a body inventory. And so seeing what organs people have or don't have and uh, not missing out on healthcare based on assumptions. And so I know that maybe seems overwhelming, but I have, I have known people who are just parts of healthcare teams, students who uh, were able to bring it up to the people in the clinics that they've volunteered at or places that they worked at and actually able to change the intake forms. And that's awesome that you've just made whoever uh, is trans or non-binary and also probably a lot of queer folks who uh, will see that gesture and interpret it as general solidarity. Like you have just made their healthcare experience a safer and better experience. Um, so that's my technical suggestion. But more generally, I think that as a personal philosophy, it is better to try and do your best and be open to correction than to not try at all. And so something I hear pretty frequently is people are too afraid to bring something up or to express support for queer patients because they're worried they're going to say the wrong thing or hurt their patients' feelings. And I, I hear that, but I can tell you from my experience, it has always meant more to me that someone made the effort and they were explicit about, hey, I want you to know I support you. Or, you know, they put a rainbow flag on their door, you know, small but intentional gestures that show I am more likely to be safe and listened to in this environment than maybe otherwise. In conjunction to my earlier experience I mentioned, I had a separate provider where I came in with this health condition, right? And I'm like, and I'm, you know, and I'm trans, right? And hormones are already a complicated thing. And then you add gender and I don't necessarily want to look like how someone with my, you know, general organs might look, etc. And I had a provider say, I'm going to be upfront with you that I'm not the expert, but I am going to put in the work and make sure you get the care that you need. And that was so different and so refreshing. And by golly, I got the healthcare that I needed, right? The more independent research you can do, the more seminars you can sign up for, great. But I just think being vocal and being honest to me uh, has made a lot of difference as both a patient, but also as a colleague. Yeah, I appreciate you mentioned that because I think there is a lot of fear underlying people's awkward responses or lack of res appropriate responses. But that's not an excuse. You know, we, we each need to do our best and just being open. Mm -hmm. um, I love that you had that positive experience as well with that provider. Mm -hmm. Going back to kind of your college experience, you mentioned that pre-med, of course, pre-med culture is very competitive. I think that's true. It's so, you know, most colleges, most universities. How is it that you pushed through that experience, even when it was hard? How did you keep yourself motivated to take the MCAT, to mm -hmm. get those clinical experiences, even though you faced some disadvantages, to you know, work to support yourself through, through college, all of those things. How did you push through? I would say that I, one, sort of removed myself from any situation that felt more harmful than helpful. And so I actually really didn't participate in a lot of the pre-med groups, events, et cetera, because I realized that 
they were more stressful and disorienting and didn't necessarily align with the person and professional I wanted to be. And so even though that was the well-tread path, I decided that was not the path that I needed to be on. And instead, I spent time doing things that I felt both made me the person or at least closer to the person I wanted to be or gave me opportunities to serve the communities that I really cared about. And so I had trouble getting healthcare experiences, but I ended up translating a lot of healthcare documents in Spanish for LGBTQ patients because that is an intersection of identity that was super underserved in my community. And so a lot of sexual health stuff was available in English, but not necessarily in Spanish. So that was a healthcare experience I was able to have. And then through that, I met people. And I basically am pursuing a lot of opportunities that maybe at first glance didn't look like great pre-med opportunities. I was able to get experiences in healthcare, experiences in research, and experiences in leadership. One of the best things I did in my undergrad is with my partner and one of our best friends, we started a Dungeons and Dragons uh, student club, and we taught hundreds of people how to play Dungeons and Dragons because it's fun. It's a great game, but also I think it makes you a better communicator and team player and is really great at focusing on narratives and skills that I think are important in medicine. And we did it as something that we were passionate about. And then that came up in my essays, in my interviews, because I think people saw both the passion I had for it and the practical use of I'm really good at working with the people around me and listening to them and taking what they're saying and making it into something productive or nuanced. And so I I guess I think that while the pre-med mentality and archetype is well established. I guess I was able to find activities and identities that fit me better and that ultimately served me better, but also just made me happier. And so I think I would just hope that any person who finds themselves in a similar situation uh, listens to themselves and doesn't feel like they have to change who they are to pursue a career that should love them for for who they are and what they bring. And I hope that instead they can pursue the opportunities that are legitimately interesting to them, rewarding for them, fulfilling to them, and that they feel confident and comfortable in that decision. I love that message. Thank you for saying that because I think there is this mentality among a lot of pre-meds that you have to be, you know, a cookie cutter pre-med that you have to have X number of hours of this exact activity and X number of hours of this exact activity. And really, I think um, just pursuing your passions. And if, if you pursue your passions in a way that shows in one way or another your dedication to this profession or that you are developing the skills, like you mentioned, the communication skills through Dungeons and Dragons, If you show that to an admissions committee, like, you know, they don't want to see the same application over and over and over again, exact same experiences. They want diversity um, in various forms and they want people who 
have different life experiences and have developed maturity through a variety of life experiences as well. So I love the example you gave and that message. I agree 100%. Um, follow your passions and, and it's okay to be different. So mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that. What about the medical school application process? That can be pretty daunting for a lot of people. It's expensive. It's a lot of work. <laughs> um, what was that experience like for you? Oh, it was awful. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> it's so expensive and it's so tedious and it's stressful. And I think honestly, one of my biggest regrets is that I was a little bit embarrassed that I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't reach out for help. And that I think was a mistake. And I'm very happy with where I am, right? But in some ways, I now as a current student, I work with a couple groups, Bridging Admissions, Prescribe It Forward, uh, generally if anyone ever asks me to edit their med school applications, I will. And, or mm -hmm. I will connect you to one of my, you know, peers who also will. And mm -hmm. so I, I, I just, I think that when you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, and I didn't know how to frame myself and my essays, and I wasn't sure what they were looking for. And again, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to make myself sound like someone else who had done these other experiences that I had you know, done a little bit of, but I really was more a person who did, like I mentioned, other kind of experiences. And so it was difficult. And I think that it was, you know, even halfway through the process in my interviews where I, I realized maybe I should have tried to ask and look to mentors, but I didn't have, I, those were not obvious to me. Those were not immediately apparent to me, uh, especially because I was every med school I applied to as a physician scientist, I was very open about how like I'm an orthodox, I'm interested in queer health more than I'm interested in cells and molecules, and uh -huh. very passionate about policy and how politics affects the healthcare people receive as opposed to, I know specifically, I want to be a, some specialty that I've wanted to be since I was four or whatever. And so I I think that I questioned myself more than I should have, but also I think the process is immensely daunting. And I think it's really easy to question yourself when uh, you are comparing yourself and your application and these numeric values that theoretically summarize your competence. Uh -huh. And in my opinion, absolutely do not. Right. So it was not fun. And that's part of the reason why I try to be available as a resource to people going through it because it it's just it's an awful process for anyone and i think that if you if you don't have a lot of familiarity with the system or thousands of dollars to burn it is miserable yeah i agree with that <laughs> yeah it is unfortunately it creates another barrier for mm -hmm. people who don't have a lot of resources as well now, you didn't only apply to medical school, you applied to a PhD program as well. Yes. Can you tell us a little more about what motivated you to go that route as opposed to just an MD program? Totally. It was a difficult decision. And as I am currently transitioning from my past two years of med school into my PhD, it is a decision that I am being confronted with. <laughs> but I still feel pretty happy with where I am and what I'm doing because. For me, I both want the tools to 
conduct research and on a broader scale, ask questions that I think are going to help my patients. And then I want to be in the room with those patients to make sure that they are benefiting and receiving all that the research has to offer them. So for me, I am really happy and really fulfilled in research, but that's only because I feel like the research I do has a person at the other side of it or has a community at the other side of it. And so with an MD and a PhD, I love that I get to be in several positions along that process. And I am really hopeful that with that skill set, I'll be able to conduct research in the future, both informed by experiences in the clinic, as well as in the lab. Yeah. What is your research um, thesis, your project or your work for your PhD going to be on? So I am currently deciding between two labs and so it will the specific project is TBD but I am interested in computational genomics or basically how can we use computers that are really smart and good at crunching numbers to look at all of the data that genetics and people's genomes give us so that we can give them you know better healthcare outcomes and uh, long term, I'm interested most likely in cancer, uh, medical genetics, hereditary syndromes. But I will say that the field moves really quickly. Yeah, that's for sure. And I'm going to be in school for a million years. And so what I'm hoping is with my PhD, I will have the fam familiarity both with you know, genomics and the biological sciences, as well as the analytical techniques through programming to work at the forefront of whatever the field looks like 10 years from now when I finally get to do things. Yeah. How long do you anticipate your PhD to take? Just for some of our listeners who aren't too familiar with the MD-PhD process. Sure. So it's different at every university, but for the University of Utah, and this is fairly comparable to a lot of MD-PhD programs, you spend two years in your MD, so all of your preclinical classroom time, and then you take, I took step one, our first board exam, and then the PhD itself, you enter as what would otherwise be a second year PhD student uh, with your level of classroom experience, as well as having decided a lab because we do our research rotations over the summer. And then most typically we shoot for four years of our PhD. Uh, sometimes that's done in three. Occasionally it's longer than four. Sometimes it's five. Very, very rarely it is six. I am somewhat motivated to try and get it done in four. And then you transition back into medical school, complete your clerkships, and go from there. So altogether, it is approximately eight years, which is a long time. But I figure it's better to spend the years doing the work to get exactly where I want to be, right? Than to get where I don't want to be quicker. Yeah, that makes sense. 
I've always admired the dedication of people who are willing to do that MD PhD program. So, you know, more power to you. Um, that's amazing. And um, I wish you, you know, the best of luck during this PhD program, which it will, you know, the days, as they say, the days go slowly, but the weeks and months and years fly mm -hmm. by. So totally. <laughs> so before you know it, you'll be, you'll be on your way to finishing the MD part of your education. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about your first two years of medical school. What was that experience like? Was medical school everything you thought it would be? Has it been different than you thought it would be? I will say I did not anticipate doing a year and a half of it online. <laughs> I think the pandemic was a wrench in everyone's plans. But beyond that, it was awesome. I It was difficult. And they every person says this, and I know it's annoying, but I'm going to say it again. It's like drinking from you know, the, the water hose from the fire hydrant. It is a lot in a very quick uh, succession. Someone once told me people will call it a marathon, but it's not a marathon. It's a sprint that's marathon length. And, but more, more seriously, though, I truly believe I made the right decision in becoming a physician, even through the first two years, which are not as clinical as the remainder, but the clinical experiences that I had, the things I was able to learn, I really loved it. And within my cohort, I have made such wonderful friendships with phenomenal people, people who inspire me to be a better person and better clinician. I've been able to meet a lot of physicians who are the kind of physician I want to be. And so it is a difficult experience, but I, I think that a lot of times we medical students are a bit notorious for complaining about how difficult it is and don't necessarily talk as much about how much we're doing it because we love it. And I think that all of the pre-med students who are nervous because med students complain a lot, we just are complaining because it's fun and people let us. It's actually a wonderful experience. Yeah, sometimes some of the hardest experiencers are the ones that you look back on and you're like, wow, that was transformational and rewarding mm -hmm. in so many ways. I mean, sometimes the harder something is, the more growth you get from it. So yes. medical school seems like one of those things. Yeah, I am honestly so proud of myself and the capacity I have to, you know, engage in clinical conversations and diagnostics and the level of understanding is just exponential from where I was before med school. And that is really, really rewarding to realize. And I feel like as a person and individual, I have grown so much. And sometimes I get a little bit, I don't want to say frustrated, but sometimes people make the joke that like, oh, you know, your doctor wasted their 20s to be your doctor. And, I'm, and I, I feel like all the time I've spent in medical school is time well spent both professionally, but also as a person. I'm really pleased, I guess, with, with you know, what, I, what I've been able to accomplish on one hand, but also the person I am continuing to develop to be. Yeah, wonderful. To just kind of wrap things up here, for our listeners, you know, who are mostly um, 
in their pre-med journey and really mm-hmm. in that place where they're thinking, I, I maybe want to be a doctor, but really having to decide for themselves. Do you have any parting words of wisdom or advice to them? I think that one, it can be useful to know that being a doctor looks like a million and one different things. And so from pathologists who really frequently don't interact with patients to surgery to, you know, seeing a different person every 15 minutes, I think that it can look really different. So I think sometimes people see one type of doctor and think, okay, well, if I'm not that, then maybe it's not meant for me. But to me, the decision came down to what do I want to spend my days doing, right? Not just like, what is the title I want next to my name in 20 years? But if I were to wake up one day and be somewhere else, what day would make me the most excited? And for me, that was a mixture of both clinical time and research. So I'm really interested in staying in academic medicine at a major medical center because uh, that level of interdisciplinary partnerships and the team aspect, it's just all really invigorating to me. And so I, I guess I would say independent from what you think that you should want or should do, because a lot of times I think that people are told they should be a doctor because they're smart. And I know that you can be smart and you can do many other professions, but is it in all of its different iterations, something that will make you, if not excited every morning, because maybe that's not realistic, at least feel good about what you're doing enough of the time. And for me, my long days that I've spent with patients that I've been able to have so far are better days than I think I would have doing anything else. So that's what it came down to for me. Wonderful. Great advice there. Well, thank you so much, Laurel, again, for spending time with us today, for sharing your story, your experiences, your passion, your wisdom, your advice, all of that. I'm sure many of our listeners will find this uh, both inspirational and helpful. So thanks again for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks everyone for listening and uh, have a wonderful rest of your day.